TK is the pedantic one. Yes. Hedgy is the crazy one. Hello. I'm the angry one. Pedantic, angry, weird. Hello. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Ramblings of a Grey Muzzle, episode four, part two of our anthology about talking about our media influences. Earlier we could waffle on for so long. Fucking all of us. Right. So that over there is Xavier. I am TK and somewhere on the sofa there should be a Hedgy. Hello. There he is. Hey. All present and correct. Yes. Well, all present. Well, yes. <laughs> At least. Well, present. Well, so here in spirit, if nothing yeah. else. <laughs> in yeah. spirits. So we we have talked about our book and comic, our literary car fucking hard word. Literary, <laughs> literary, <laughs> literary We've influences. Literally talked about our literary interests. Yes. Literally. Well, not just interests, this is also things that have influenced us and also um discussed whether or not we've been influenced from the furry fandom Mm -hmm. so we did talk about a good chunk of pre and post furry books and comics also including smut so (laughs) of course we're talking about the furry fandom (laughs) can't talk about the furry fandom and not include smut (laughs) what we're now going to roll into is um tv and movies so we're going to start a very safe position which i think most of us can agree on pre-furry and post-furry disney with cartoons yes Ah. disney he said said the word safe it had to be disney well i say the word safe but the 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 main ones i will say because you know british tv and bbc i believe they were on bbc i can correct you if not uh yeah i probably can do because i can't remember now it's fucking old dog tanyan and the three musker hounds bbc sandakan which wasn't itv Around the world with Willie Fogg. Originally BBC, later ITV. Really? Yep. yep. Oh, oh god. So, I I, re- I start with this because I've got to say, outside of the Disney cartoons and the Warner Brother cartoons uh, and affiliates, which had anthropomorphic animals, um, these stuck with me from when I watched them and repeated watched them and cursed the fact that they can't release Sandakan and any kind of fucking consistent one-to-end schedule. <laughs> Why, you bastards? Um, the exact same with the DVD releases. We yeah. got the first nine episodes and then they stopped. But the entire series is available on BRB International's YouTube channel. Yes. Ooh. I have to go back there because I need to watch the thing in order. Yeah, don't, because I used my favourite YouTube ripper and I downloaded them because I wasn't confident that they were going to stay there. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. So Are they still there? They are still oh, there. Oh, they are still there. This does also a little bit tie into the literary stuff we talked to in episode three, because Doctanian and Three Musker Hounds is based on one of the literary classics. It is. Have you ever read The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas? Never have read Dumas. I I've it seen is his work. So dry. <laughs> is it? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it is the driest book I have ever put myself through. Dear me. And while the Main events in the TV TV series stay reasonably true to the books. Yeah. Holy crap, none of the characters in the book are good people. (laughs) That that doesn't surprise me because we are talking about back in the old days, aren't we? I will say for Dogtanian Three Musketeers, this is is the reason why I have watched all of the Musketeer films. And I'm glad this is the reason because the the old Musketeer, not Black and White, the Oliver yeah. Reed, ah, yes. those films I really enjoyed. Um, and then we had Charlie Sheen, uh, was it Charlie Sheen or Chevy Chase? One of the, t- one of the Sheen both. family who did a, a, a Three, Musketeers. Three Musketeer film. Oh, I think that was Emilio Estevez. One of them. <laughs> you, you, inter, you interspace them at times. But yes. that one I really enjoyed. The most, most recent one where they had the airships 
and Legolas being a villain, I couldn't get with. <laughs> and just like I've watched it. I quite I enjoyed the three musketeers, the BBC one, the musketeers. Oh, the musketeers, which I have. Oh, you actually have some video. I I have buried I was, them. I was uh, ripping it for my player myself. No, I've bought the. They're somewhere behind here. Nice. He actually has a set. I, I have what season one and two. Although it was a completely, this is musketeers in name only. Yeah, I really quite enjoyed that yeah. series. But yeah, but getting back to Dog Tanyon, um, I don't know if it was the fact it was anthropomorphic characters or the fact it wasn't English. No, originally it was Spanish. Cartoon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or. If it was that goddamn fucking intro. <laughs> the goddamn fucking intro tune that caused me to stick with through. That we cannot play due to copyright reasons. So Although it was we a, probably could. It was a Spanish cartoon animated in Japan dubbed into English. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it was anime before I found anime. Yes. But it was... It was animated by Studio Nippon, no less. Yeah. Nippon, yeah. It was really good. Really good. And I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed how it portrayed the story. The villains were villains. The heroes were heroes. And you you just went on this journey with Dogtanian in his, like, oversized fucking leather shoes and this <laughs> massive floppy <laughs> hats. Yeah. And when you first... He's first introduced to, like, the Muskerhounds with a sword, rusty sword that gets stuck in the scabbard... Mm-hmm. And he's, like, fighting everyone with the sword still in his scabbard. Plot point reason for this later on. That, and you watch as it is his, like, sword gets beaten to seven shades of shit against all of the Cardinal's men. And then fantastic plot point turnaround for how he gets out of everything. <laughs> because of that. I really enjoyed that. I, I gotta say, before being introduced to the furry, this was really entertaining. It was. It was very well written. And mm. do you know it was released in 1981? Wow. <clears throat> yep. 1981. 81 for Dogtanian, 91 for Around the World with 80 Days with Willie Fox. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that was that was the other one I watched all the way through, especially on um, when it was on BBC, because it, it was after school. Yep. Cartoons. And the BBC actually edited in fucking order. Mm. Mm. And it was, again, a, a literary t- tale, but you had Willie Fogg, who was a lion? He was indeed a lion. He was a lion. Yes. Rigodon, who is a supposed cat? to be a, a cat. cat. Yeah. And Tico, his little mouse companion. Yes. Oh, I thought he was a hamster. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell. I'm a, is he a hamster? I'm oh. getting confused now. Oh, no, because um, Pip's definitely a mouse from Dogtanian. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure he's a mouse. He has a hamster tail instead of a mouse, which means he cannot be a mouse, according yeah. to Wikipedia. Okay, so even Wikipedia's not entirely sure. Yeah. yeah. He's got it's, the aggression of a mouse. Yeah. Mm. And then you had like Princess Romy, and oh, the then you had the Panther, Inspector Bix, Dix, yep. Dix and one Bix and the other. Oh, yeah. is he? Okay. In Dicks. the English, in the English dub, he was Inspector Dix. No, no. He... Based on Inspector Fix, Fix from the uh, original uh, novel. Oh God! And transfer, transfer, transfer yes. the wolf who was created for the cartoon. Yes, yes. he did not exist in the original storyline. No, not in Jules. The original storyline. The villain is time. Yes, yes. Time itself. Which. which for well, the, the members of the club. Yeah, yeah. For which for story reasons is fine because it it was dealing with the, the travel because Willie Fogg is probably a very well-known story. But it was dealing with the... Well, Willie Fogg probably isn't. Phileas Fogg Phileas definitely Fogg, is. Yeah. But it was mm. dealing with the, the difficulties of getting around because whilst Phileas Fogg 
in the book knew and could say yeah here's the plan because there was like the trains in place there was the steamers in place doesn't necessarily mean you'd be able to do everything because there's still things that could just trip you up and especially in the cartoon you had these obstacles transfer being one of them with the the glint yeah so you knew he was the evil one because he was the master of disguise <laughs> yeah. uh, according to the wikipedia page that glint is the light catching on his glass eye yeah uh, yes because he had a glass eye <laughs> and so it was the case of ah oh, there's transfer he's the evil one we need to boo him when you <laughs> see him and he was there because sullivan couldn't trust the fact that willie fogg's Bunction's claim of going around the world in 80 days was yeah. possible. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think he'll do it, but I want to make 100% sure I don't lose this bet. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it, it was entirely around the bet, uh, yes. um, wagering his position in the... Depending on... I think he had something like his life savings were like £100,000. And he, he bet it all that he could... Well, he didn't bet all of it. Um, didn't he? It, no, he placed, I think it was like a fifth of his wealth that he bet. Ah. And, but then he'd spent the other two, uh, uh, four fifths in actually oh, yeah. doing going the... Going around it, yeah. Going around mm, the world. So yeah. when he came back to England... Yeah. Um, he was pretty much penniless. Uh, he was penniless because he thought he'd lost. Yeah. Yeah, because it was... The, the main topic of conversation was there was a theft and they discussed whether or not they would catch them. And Fogg mentioned the way to get like third of the way around the world if you had thought of it and hence that there there was that escalation which you then see in some of the other more recent films uh, including the jackie chan one which jackie chan robbed some place for this statuette uh, didn't need to be that but i think it was purely so they could have the, the jackie chan and a chinese martial art fight in china with the main villains but yeah this was a bet prompted to defend his honor because Sullivan bets Fogg £5,000, which back in the that era... That was a ton of money. That's a ton of money uh, to say it's impossible. There were then three other club members who increased the amount to £20,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, from that first episode, he then announces that he'll leave that very evening and promises to return to the club by 8.45 on December 1872. A year later. Not a year. Well, not a year 80 later. days. 80 days, which is oh, true, basically... Yeah. yeah. A bit less than a year. <laughs> no, it's about two and a half months. There's a couple of big points, though, from this. Um, one of them was the introduction of this weird timepiece. Yes, the watch. On a fucking piece of string. Rigodon's watch. Rigodon. Rigodon's watch, sorry. Yeah, and it was... It was supposed to be the accurate timepiece because it was entirely based on the position of the sun and how it reflected onto. I know I know enough about timepieces to know that that sentence that I've just uttered, bullshit, yeah, cannot be done. <laughs> but it was it was the MacGuffin of the show mm. because they made a big stress point of talking about going across the lines as you go around Time, the world, the lines Time of lines. Uh, latitude. Yeah, and it, it made sense because. It was part of the conversation. It, it's not like the films, yeah. where it's like, we must stress that we are crossing the timeline ten minutes before the end of the film. Mm-hmm. They had this as part of the conversation. Mm. Yeah. Because it was like, yeah, we know what time it's going to leave, but we need to make sure our watches are the right time mm-hmm. as we go through. And, mm. and it then led into the fact that they hadn't realised that whilst they'd gone round, mm. they had actually gained a day. Mm. Mm. when they thought they were taking the yes. actual amount of time. Mm. But it, Spoilers. Yeah, well, it, the, the story, <laughs> oh, the story's been out there long enough. But i got to say, I mean, pre-Furry, I didn't really think anything of 
these. I know. I mean, we grew up on Tom and Jerry. We grew up on Bugs Bunny. We grew up on Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Yep. So the introduction of this kind of anthropomorphic character was easily accepted. But when you think about it now, how close are these more to furry than Bugs Bunny and everything? Because we're not talking here's Bugs Bunny and occasionally in a costume. We're talking. Furries, really? Well, these were these were not played for laughs. No. Tom and Jerry, Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny are always played for laughs. This was a proper sort of literary classic, which was adapted into a children's cartoon. Oh, it was just basically humans swapped out for animals to make it yeah. more palatable for the kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but there, it wasn't... there was the occasional there was the occasional sort of joke in there where transfer would get upended by sort of something ridiculous. Yeah. And but would, if you'd switched them back into humans, it wouldn't have affected the story in any no, way, yeah. shape, or form. Yeah. Unlike things like Tom and Jerry, yep. Bugs Bunny storylines. I mean, mm. even though he's going Elmer Fudd, if you had Elmer Fudd and a human, the joke doesn't exist. It doesn't work at <laughs> yeah. all because suddenly that's a whole different dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's something we never really, never really thought about looking back at those cartoons. Mm. That made sense then and still makes sense now mm. even post furry you mean like hunter yeah. versus rabbit yeah a typical dynamic yes, yes. but the, the idea of having like dog tanyan as a dog and mm. the dogs and the cats and then with well, sandican it, it was more the play on words really yeah. for that dog oh yeah because yeah because you had d'artagnan and yeah. you had the musketeers so mm. the play on words being the musket hounds that was a nice and easy one and dog yeah. tanyan obviously yeah because you can you can see where that's that <clears throat> sound happens like D'Artagnan, you can yeah. hear where that you know that. that and then Christopher is. Lard's bloody soundtrack. Yes, <laughs> and then then you have Sandican, which was the tiger. Oh, well, uh, the tiger of Malaysia. No, the tiger of Montpresum. Montpresum. Ah, yes, because this was also based on. They were real books, and he was the ah. tiger of Montpresum, and that's why Sandican became a tiger. Ah, because of the pirate's nickname. Oh, so it was Montpresum. a metaphor. Effectively, yes, because ah. he was as fierce and ferocious as a tiger. And ah. therefore, yeah. His whole crew were tiger tigers, weren't they? Uh, for the most part. Yanis was a, a wolf, I think, or a dog. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a big, fat cat or something? Uh, so Big Leon was a giant, a fat, big, fat tiger. Yeah. Uh, but they were mostly tigers. Mm. Uh, but that's because they all came from the, his kind of area. Mm. And they're all pirates. So, And mm. Yanis being the wolf, I think, kind of singled him out as being... The one who was more tactical, he was more the tactician. He could fight as well, as good as any of the others. But he was very a strategist and tactician, and he would be the one kind of formulating all of the plans that everyone else would then follow. But again, it's weird how much of BRB International stuff uh, in the day was actually novels that they've mm. created to make it more palatable for kids just by replacing everyone with animals. Yeah. Mm. But it, it, some of the stuff, though, again, we, we talked about this in the previous episode... There's shit that goes on, even though it's cartoon animals, that is quite dark. Uh-huh. We're, going, they're, they're, we're going beyond mild peril. Yeah. <laughs> Dog, uh, Dog Tanyon had some quite dark themes that were mm. touched on. Willy Fogg had some dark shit happening, and Sander can, yeah, we're just going to burn you down inside your building. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually had episodes ending where you didn't know if especially if you were able to watch it in fucking sequence if they survive and it was very much like Hergé's Adventures of Tintin mm-hmm. style episodes yeah. where you didn't know I mean obviously you kind of figure because there's next week but you didn't know if they survived there was the tension of the cliffhanger although if you'd watched the cartoon series of Sandigan and and having already read the books <laughs> and you watch a later episode of Sandigan and you'll go, why is Sam Biglion still alive? 
because <laughs> why hasn't he committed suicide yet at Sandikan's orders for yeah. basically being a coward earlier on in the book? Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, we're skipping over that, are we? <laughs> yeah, so with those... Yeah, some stuff you don't talk about. But so with those, then we can lead into the Disney and we can lead into the Warner Brothers because I will say, especially for cartoons, the Bugs Bunny era, not necessarily for me Disney cartoons, Disney films mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I think with Disney we have to separate the shorts versus the yeah. animated features. <laughs> yeah. The and shorts who, versus who the was, Who was the other one outside of Warner Brothers? Um, oh, well, do you want to go Hanna-Barbera? That's the one. Do you yeah. want to go for Tex Avery? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty to choose from. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. And Chuck Jones? Uh, Chuck Jones mostly worked with Warner Brothers and Hanna-Barbera. Ah. So for me personally, I would say outside of things like Transformers, He-Man, mm-hmm. um, She-Ra, I would say to a degree, oh God, the cowboy one, I can't remember Brave the name Star. of. Brave Star. Brave Star, yeah. Um, a lot of, filma- those, those were all filmation. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the stuff that I watched was the, the classic cartoons, especially like mm-hmm. the Tom and Jerry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I will say they were an influence for me because that was growing up so to me the idea of i suppose when leading into furry there are a bunch of people who liked this stuff as well made Mm. sense and then the fact that they liked it enough to then dress up as these characters draw these characters kind of made the transition into the furry fandom easier than i suppose if i hadn't and was trying to go in cold turkey yeah, if you'd never been introduced to an anthropomorphic character before, mm-hmm. how the hell did you survive for as long as you did, basically? <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> so I think it's a bit hard to talk about them so pre-post. So the real question is, once you guys, were there anything cartoony that you sort of were influenced to watch because you were a furry? I'd actually like to go pre-furry. Okay, you want to Ooh. go pre-furry. I do want to go pre-furry, I mean, aside from the ones that we've already mentioned. Mm. I was very drawn to the cartoons that didn't have straight lines. Um, <laughs> by straight are... lines, we are meaning he liked the curves. Ish. No, what I mean by that is you had two distinct kind of styles of storytelling in animation back in the my youth that was showing on the UK telly at the time. So you had the more cartoony things, mm. uh, which had all the rounded edges and all the soft curves and nothing was harsh or straight-lined. Yeah. And... That appealed more to my entertainment. And then you had things like, as you mentioned, the Brave Stars and the the more what I would call straight-lined cartoons mm. that, while they may still be funny and everything, they took themselves that little bit more seriously. Mm. All right, okay. They typically involved more human characters. Yeah. And therefore they completely just turned me off as a kid. <laughs> I was not interested in them at I all. I hate people. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that stayed with me my entire life. Yeah, but, it's, <laughs> but I understand where he's coming from because there's a, there's a different... I suppose you could very much easily define it in terms of things like um, Animaniacs, Mm-hmm. Uh, Freakazoid. Ah, uh, yes. Where it's the entertainment value is the same. Pure wacky. Slapstick. Yeah, slapstick. it's it's wacky. It's fun. The it may it may go towards and here's us making an adult jab at something. Mm-hmm. Animaniacs. Yeah. But it's um, Freakazoid to a point. <laughs> yeah, Freakazoid to a point. Mm-hmm. But it, it's. But I never got into Freakazoid. Yeah, oh, I really? enjoyed I enjoyed Freakazoid. Yeah, I never got I never got into Freakazoid because and, it, uh, humans. Yeah, there were too many people oh, basically, okay. and. I didn't get my cute fluffy animals, and I wanted yeah. my cute fluffy animals in my cartoons. I'm sorry. But then Animaniacs had a lot of people in it. Yes, but the focus was on the animals. Yeah. You had the wacko brothers and sister. Well, we, well, you had Pinky in the brain. Like, was, you had. They weren't really. They were never said to be animals. They were considered just. Well, they're certainly you know, non humanoids. They were the yeah. Animaniacs. Yes. They are their own species. They were, of yeah, yeah, their own species. Yeah. The, yeah. the humans played a supporting role. Yeah. Mm. And so, and even in the features, 
there wasn't really any features that primarily focused on the humans. Mm-hmm. They were always side characters, uh, like the Goodfeathers people were there. They were legs walking around and things like yes. that. They weren't ever the focus. And the Animaniacs themselves had like Hello Nurse. I and think it was Elmira. And that's Tiny Teen Adventures you're thinking of. Yeah. Uh, Elmira yes. did come into Animaniacs, well, ish, in the terms of the Pinky and the Brain spin off yes. series. Yeah. And it was Pinky and the Brain and Elmira for a yes. while. I yeah. thought it was Elmira. Oh, the little girl that the dog had to babysit. Oh, that's fuck. Mindy. Yeah. Buttons and Mindy. Buttons and Mindy's. Yeah, Buttons and Mindy. Yeah. And even then, it was still Buttons that was the lead character yes. in that. You, <laughs> the, you followed the dog. You didn't follow the girl. You followed the dog well, trying you to rescue the girl. You technically followed the girl, as did the dog. <laughs> Poor fuck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of the actual focus point of the um, for the thing, the dog was the focal point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was his rescuing of the, the girl that then made the episode. Mm-hmm. And all the wacky shenanigans that he'd have to pull off to do that. In the same way that even earlier cartoons, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, like your Scooby-Doo's. Yes. Oh, Christ. I got quite into Scooby-Doo, but then the main focus was usually um, on how Scooby and Jaggy, to a lesser degree, would react mm. to the overall mystery. Mm. Oh, God. The mystery was there because at the start, at the time, that was mm-hmm. the Hanna-Barbera formula mm-hmm. um, due to other shenanigans that had gone down at Hanna-Barbera beforehand. And so once that formula had kind of been established, you got a load of Scooby and gang rip-offs, mm-hmm. uh, all of the yes. names of which I can't remember, but they were mostly <laughs> four kids and a dog solving mysteries. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Hanna-Barbera did a whole lot of those mm-hmm. in the kind of 70s and early 80s type thing. And so that kind of tradition of me not wanting to really focus on the humans in a story mm. continued. And I mean, if we go back even further to Channel 4 early mornings in mm. the weekends, yep. we had really obscure, weird shit. And it was shit, but at the time you waited up because yeah. it was fun and it was entertaining and it didn't have any fucking humans in it. Yeah. So things like Sharky and George. Mm-hmm. Oh, Christ, we're going that far back. We yeah. are going that far back. I mean, yeah, oh, Sharky and George before Finding Nemo. Yeah, in retrospect, yeah. Sharky and George was terrible. Yeah, it was. And the intro always used to freak me out as a kid because it always used certain notes and in certain mm. dissonant tones <laughs> that did not sit well with me. But once we got past the intro, everything was fine. Oh, yeah. if, if you want to look this shit up, guys, yeah. feel free. I mean, there is some stonking things out there that we've oh, yeah. discussed already. I mean, there were some exceptions to the rule per se, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Penny Crayon. Yes. But then again, that was very curved lined. And also things like the Raggy Dolls as well. Yeah. Yes. Which again, very few humans and we followed dolls yeah. of which there were various types of doll and mm-hmm. favourite being Sad Sack. <laughs> but I think there was also that, there was that selection of very British... I will say very British or very United Kingdom because mm. also have to think well, very English. I think yeah. would be a fair way. Well, very, very, very not American because you then also have to bring up things like Nog Bad the Bad and Ivor the Engine and Hello Ivor. Yeah, suddenly yes. all this stuff comes out the fucking closet. Mm. It's like all of this stuff that you then, got into, but, but then things like Nog in the Nog mm. and that. Although he wasn't strictly humanoid, he was too humanoid for my tastes. That's uh-huh. fine. Yeah, and so I never really got into anything that was overly humanoid. Mm. Um, but if it was animals, I'd be for the most part. All over that. I mean, we mentioned in the last episode Rupert the Bear. Mm. I absolutely loved the Rupert the Bear cartoons, even Mm. though there was the occasional human in them, uh, because it was about the bear and the adventures that the bear got up to. Mm. Uh, And then humans played the side roles. And they were decent and interesting adventures that sometimes did have suspense in them, even though Mm. you all knew by kind of a few episodes in that Rupert had the the plot armour of ungodly quantities. (laughs) But you also also had things like the Willow the Wisp... 
because mm-hmm. that had a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Um, you also had Wind in the Willow, or Wind in the Willows and Willow the Wisp. There was Wind a- in the Willows was claymation. Well, claymation, but there um, was an animated. There was an animated. And Willow one. the Wisp is a completely different entity. To yeah. Yes, Willows. very, very different. Very. Different. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I watch things like mm. Stop It and Tidy Up, and I remember yes. that yep. still to this day. Yeah. For, yeah. Again, look this up. It's mm. weird. It's very. Weird. <laughs> yeah, we were rated by Terry Wogan, I believe. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> We had weird childhoods, but yeah, yeah. because we grew up yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, cartoons were were very yeah. odd. But in in you were going back to pre because of um, the animalistic stuff. So we're also going to be talking about then animals of farthing wood, the animated yep. series. Yes, because I used to rush home from school for that. Mm. <laughs> well, I spent, well, the first two series anyway. The third yeah, one, third can, one, no. Yeah, third one, one, yeah, less so. That was one of those that I began watching, but all I could think about was. How stereotypical the voices were. It's like, Toad, yeah. we need you to be a very stereotypical old senile man. That kind of thing. Badger, we need you to be the old kindly gentleman. Mole, we need you to be the very, very terrified young child. Uh, Weasel, we need you to be as irritating <laughs> as possible. Really, really irritating. Really put in that screech into that voice. You know, we want you that. He didn't so, like yeah. Weasel then. It wasn't that, it was just... Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> I, I never really... I, could ne- I didn't mind is- Weasel so much because she had the juxtaposition against Adder. Yes. Yeah. And while they generally got on, mm. you could always tell that there was a certain level of respect for Adder given by Weasel. Mm. And mm. with Adder, there was a certain level of patience given towards Weasel. Mm. But when Weasel crossed lines, Adder mm. kind of made it her business to... Or be the authority figure in yeah. their little pairing. It was sort of the way that they deliberately made the voices so ridiculously defined that it stopped becoming believable. For example, Toad's voice was always, don't you worry about me, mateys. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's like we've got that Yorkshire I'm, accent, I'm a that sailor. gravelly tone, and the word matey used every time as if he's some yeah, old all right. sea I'm, captain. I'm going to have to toad. bitch slap you there. The water. Yeah, I'm going to bitch slap you here because I, uh, being Hampshire and Devonshire, yep. the accents and that for me made perfect sense because, you know, as you, as you can tell from my accent, it's going all over the shop. It's like mm. go Hampshire and Devonshire. Mm. Mm. For me, the accents and the counties, that was basing them in a reality that made sense. It was kind of... Because the opposite side of this, mm-hmm. the animated film of... You fuck, you've made me forget it. Want to shut down? <laughs> That's the one. Where suddenly it was these very English actors, mm-hmm. very English actors portraying bunnies mm-hmm. in the middle, in mid-county England. And it's like... Mm. I say that because we then also had Rick Mayle playing Kiha. <laughs> that was in the cartoon <laughs> that series. That was in the cartoon series, sorry. It was some it was some crazy Russian as far as yes, I Yes, in remember. the uh, in the series, yeah. In, yeah. in the fucking in the film. film with some yeah. crazy yes. Russian. And Rick Mayle's part well because I I really enjoyed the film and so when I heard about the original TV series I was quite interested by this. You actually enjoyed the film? Yeah, the film. The film was the amazing. The film was fucking scars yeah. you for life. I mean, it is. <laughs> oh, like, she needs to grow some balls. <laughs> I watched it as a kid. It was like, oh, this is lovely. Like, and oh. then people, people will agree. Mm-hmm. The seagull scene coming in can yep. terrify them. And then you have the general. Yeah, general Woundvolt. Yep. yep. Fucking hell, is he? And and the implications of what he's doing with his Warren. Yeah. It's like okay, and the dog, which then is a okay, because. 
I did have a pet bunny at one point, so it was a case of they let loose the dog and chase it, chase it, lead it to mm-hmm. the battle towards the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the dog, and this is for a lot of people who may not have actually had any experience huh. with farmyard shit, mm-hmm. dogs, when allowed to chase rabbits and catch them, back in, especially back in the old days, mm-hmm. would go nuts because mm-hmm. they were trained mm-hmm. to chase rabbits and hunt them because this was food mm-hmm. back yeah. in the day so it's like it's like the old saying a fox in the hen house it mm. goes to town yeah. and that film did not go <laughs> little blood spur yeah. it's like body blood bleh. Yes. Mm. then of course it went fucking psychedelic with mm-hmm. the ending sequence shall we say mm-hmm. which we then had their religion brought in mm-hmm. and it was like Wow, this is... Well, you say we then had their religion yeah, brought in. Considering the film started I know, so, I with know, their religion. religion. <laughs> and then, then they went in, you know what? You know what will make it top it off, really? Bright eyes. Yes. Right there. But going back to the animals of Farthing Wood, I would say it, it wasn't the fact that they had accents in there. It was the fact that they put them so intense. It was like, we need to, we need to sort of jam as much as we can. It was like, you don't need to put so much into it. Just... Put the sort of the lilt in there, but don't grind it so damn hard. Yeah. Now, see, I never had any complaints. In fact, because uh, Mo, I can't I put mean, my Mo's nerdy hat voice, on. Mo's voice is basically this. It's like Badger. I'm scared. It's like it's it's really falsetto kind of thing. It's well, like, it's only a tiny animal. He hasn't yes. got the body to make a big noise. But you don't have to have that kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you gave Mola, I'm really scared, Badger. Oh, help yeah. me. It, it, no, it just wouldn't sound right at all. But you it's don't the same have as Piglet. To have that. Yes. Piglet and Winnie the Pooh has mm. a shrill, squeaky voice. But he's not falsetto. And Piglet's bigger than Mole's. Yeah. So <laughs> this could be an argument yeah. that will last but the age. You could have you could have Mole as sort of just a, a very soft voice. You don't have to have that ridiculous thing like that. You could just have him as a very light, soft voice. So it would be easier. So you know, because then you then don't have he's that not terrible... really he's he's not really grabbing your attention. Then he fades into the background. Outside of debating the voice actors, yep. would you say that this was something that you then post furry influenced you? Actually, I bought the shit out of all the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> actually, post furry, I actually went back and did some research into things like Animals of Fatherhood, yeah, and realised that uh, Heron's voice actor uh, was also the same voice actor who did primarily all of the male voices in the cartoon series Telebugs, which uh, I yes. used to watch when I was young. Mm. Uh, yep. Which is about some anthropomorphic robots that went around helping the day and being nice to people. So and even though that had sort of that was not animals, you like that one? Again, it was rounded edges and <laughs> there wasn't any straight lines and it didn't take itself seriously. <laughs> and I can't remember the voice actor's name now, but he did a fantastic job of you know actually telling the story and doing the voices, and he was he was great. Wasn't it David Jason? No, no, no. Thing David Jason did things like Victor and Hugo, and Count Ducula, Danger Mouse, Danger Mouse, and things like that. Mm. Uh, so. Cool. I was the opposite to you because I was heavily into things like He-Man, uh, She-Ra, and uh, what was the other one? Brave Star. Brave yeah. Star. Yeah. Was I there. was all over that one. Uh, again, I also went for pole position. I absolutely loved pole position. Mysterious is gold. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Mr. Uh, I, I would talk about that if I could remember it. I've got that on my Amazon wish list. The, the, oh. the, I also went for a lot of the American Saturday morning ones, things like T-Rex. Uh, Dog City. I liked Dog City. Dog City. Denver. Denver oh, God, yes. Yeah. But all those were on the Saturday morning ones, which I yeah. would watch like 
crazy. Yeah, it was always on ITV, the Saturday mornings. Yeah. Oh, I was the fan of the Channel 4 ones. I would go yes. Channel 4 at 6 o'clock in the morning. Channel 4 Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Channel 4 Sunday mornings were some of the best cartoons around. Yes, uh, but that's called, where... Was it Channel's World Sport, the same, yeah. roughly the same time? But that's where I discovered the Sonic cartoon as well, because yeah. yes. I would watch that. I would go up, I would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, watch the cartoons, and go out and do my paper round. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, I was then watching it, because I would, I would get up really early, watch it. And then I remember one week it said, and that was all from this insert name of cartoon, Next week, uh, this slot will be taken up by Sonic the Hedgehog. And I thought, did I hear that right? <laughs> did I hear that right? It's like, that sounded like it said this. Yeah. And of course, then the next week it came on. It was like, oh my word, this is this is on here. If only you'd known right. how to use the TV times back in those days. Oh, we didn't buy the TV times. It was it was sometimes a rip-off. Besides, they never had anything. All they had was six o'clock early morning. Yeah. And then sometimes nine o'clock was when it actually started counting everything. They yeah. weren't always detailed. Yeah, they never had anything. The one we used to, I can't remember which one it used to be now, but they used to actually tell you which, which cartoon yeah. at which slot it was going to be. Mm. It was so handy because I'd, I'd read it the week before because it was always about that, <laughs> the, for the following week. Mm, yep. Go, do I need to get up early to, on this weekend? Yes. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, but I was heavily into to, I thought He-Man was absolutely brilliant because I would get all the read-along books and everything and all the toys and all that kind of stuff. And I loved that series. I thought it was fantastic. The only ones involving... I never got into Our Real Monsters. Because, that was Nickelodeon, so we yeah, didn't get Sky. Yeah. And I couldn't, Again, I couldn't be dealing with that animation quality. No. <laughs> I couldn't... Rugrats, I just stayed away from that. Like the plague, I thought it was ridiculous. I, I enjoyed that because I got introduced that to that because of uh, Saturday morning telly mm. if i recall because you had motormouth things like that i yeah. want to say it was on there and mm. then it was in the week slot yeah it was in the kid it was in the bbc kids slot, i think yeah. yeah yeah but i also was someone who was in who, who had influences from things like muppet babies mm-hmm. yeah. as well as the craziest fucking cartoons because we had some really weird shit was it rude dog rude, rude dog. dog and the yeah, dweebs rude dweebs, dog and the yeah. dweebs i watched that that's yeah. brilliant and then, oh and of course then there was the ones that uh the ones that i really got into was uh heathcliff and the cadillac cats yep oh yeah yeah, yeah. heath yep. and heathcliff the heathcliff one yep. garfield yeah which mentioned previously garfield and friends they, when they also had the yeah. farmyard yep. lot on as well yep. yes and a lot of this it just it, I, I will say again it helped make sense when introduced to the fandom um i won't say i kept up with it well i kind of did mm. because i still enjoy <laughs> cartoons mm. And I can remember things like Bonkers. 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 And I think I've got some stuff on a hard drive somewhere. Do you know why Bonkers exists? Yes. Um, uh, Fucking Rabbit. I do. The film. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? That's the one, yeah. (laughs) That rabbit film. (laughs) That (laughs) rabbit film. (laughs) Glad TK knew what I was talking about. And what about that rabbit film? That I think it's because at the same time as they were putting the film together for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the other studio wanted to like launch. I can't remember no. now. Hedge, okay. what, what can you remember about the story of how Bonkers came I to be? I believe that they wanted to make a cartoon series starring Roger Rabbit, but they didn't have the right to use the character outside of the movie. So they went, well, we need something to fill this slot that we've created. Not strictly true. Oh, no? You're for the most part, correct. They yeah. did want to make a kind of a, a kind of a buddy cop TV series type yes. thing, yeah. Yeah. and they wanted to use Roger for it. Mm. Um, Steven Spielberg owns parts of the rights to Roger Rabbit. Ah. So in order for them to make it, they had to get Steven Spielberg's permission. Mm-hmm. Steven had apparently already given his permission for the three animated shorts that we saw before other movies. Yeah. Um, but for the, for the series, he said no. And Disney were like, ah, shit. Yeah. 
And so they created bonkers to fill the gap. Mm. Really enjoyed that as well. I really did. But then there was also things outside of that, which, Mm. again, helped me understand the furry side. And that is Tailspin. Tailspin, yeah. Straight off. Most of the Disney Mm -hmm. um, afternoon canon there. Yeah, well, Tailspin because Disney film characters from the Jungle Book, fuck it. Have a real life. Mm. It's like be okay. repurposed for Yeah. Yes. You've you've got a real life. Sheer Khan in a suit. Yes. As a businessman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were intimidating. As a businessman who now walks on two feet. You're intimidating as, as a four. tiger. Now we've yeah. got Sheer Khan. It's like Lex Luthor, Sheer yeah. Khan. Yeah. Put those two together, fucking mm. take over the world. Um, but you yeah. then also had DuckTales. DuckTales. Yeah. And I will say DuckTales original series was very much Disney Clubhouse TV mm, at mm, times mm. because it was, here's the episode, and next week we have a different episode. Um, they did have some overarching stuff, but, but that was the formula back then. Mm. But DuckTales now, because mm. we've had three seasons that unfortunately won't get more, I would very much say, yes, me being a fan from back in the day was something that heavily influenced me, the people mm. involved heavily influenced me, mm-hmm. but also the fact that having gone into furry fandom i have much broader appeal for that mm. kind of setup mm. it's it's like it's a world with the anthropomorphic characters mm. and it's still paying homage to the original comics and it's paying homage to the original series and it's mm. good and it's got an overarching story yes mm-hmm. which the originals did not yeah. but yeah i can see that we you and i tk have differences when it came to what we watched in our childhoods mm. since you went heavily for the uh you eschewed the human styles ones yeah whereas things like for example jason the wheeled warriors mm. was one i absolutely adore because it again it was so dark and it had that one season crazy yeah one yeah season but then we've I mean, got one season of, of dungeons and dragons as well yeah yeah dungeons and dragons was one that i it frustrated me it frustrated me because <laughs> yeah, every bit. time they would get so close to it, it's like, oh, God. Well, you, it, it. It, it's. Will they get home? Yeah, no. it, it, yeah. when you've got a. When you've got a. This is going off a complete tangent. When mm. you've got a plot line like that, where yeah. the premise is, will they get home? Mm. You can only run it for so long. And I say this knowing that fucking Quantum Leap exists. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I want the full season mm. for. But you, it, it's. As soon as you have a resolution, you mm. kind of have to end it. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you will have that frustration, but mm. once, they, once they've left, you don't go back. Mm. You know? Well, the thing with Quantum Leap is, he never actually got to the facility again. He always leapt into somebody else. That it's they could actually see home, and they yeah. could actually, you know, there was the tantalization they are that close. With Quantum Leap, it was just going through. Quant- so, Quantum yeah. Leap, they were originally looking to end it with him getting home mm. however then he met god for the last episode yeah. so i have no fucking clue what right to shark was jumped yeah was, they they ended it there but yeah but, but uh, yeah. one th- one thing that i remember actually was um uh i was going to say before you went on somewhere else that uh garfield and heathcliff mm. were competing comic strips in newspapers yes and then the cartoons uh, themselves were competing cartoons <laughs> except for the parts where they actually combined them into the one <laughs> well they, they didn't combine them together did they they sure i don't know no, no i don't think garfield and heathcliff ever teamed up or anything like that so i i wouldn't yeah. be surprised anyway anyway i've got real recollections of them coming together for something anyway oh, well. so 
post-furry mm-hmm. cartoon influence. Yeah. So you've become your furry self. Yep. Obviously, you've got your preferences from being mm-hmm. pre-furry. Was mm-hmm. there anything that because you were a furry, you got into? I will put on the table, yep. aside from the fact that it was CG and, and I liked the stuff, mm-hmm. I was happy to jump into Zootopia because mm-hmm. I've gone through the furry mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, that was a very easy example to lay on the table. What about you two? I don't think Zootopia would have been uh, something I'd watched because I was furry, but because that's the kind of... A, I love Disney anyway. Yeah. Mm. In fact, it was The Lion King, as we know from the original podcast, that got me into the furry fandom. Mm. Yeah. And so I was always kind of a a Disney fanatic in that regard. Um, But it was The Lion King that really got me heavily into Disney. Mm. uh, To a lot more... Because before, Mm. Disney was just like a passing interest. Uh, Mm. They made awesome stuff, fantastic. So... Had I not found the very fandom, I probably would have still seen Zootopia regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not I would have seen some of the other ones, not sure. But Zootopia would have appealed to my kind of tastes for yeah. less humans, effectively. Mm. Disney is one of the few areas where my kind of less humans rule does really go out the window. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they don't use so many straight lines in their animation. No. And so it was visually one that I could tolerate and appeal to. Yeah. And yes, while well, some of the very, very early Disney is a little angular... Um, they they just kind of soft around the edges to appeal for that kind of Western audience. And so that's why I got tolerated. But in terms of cartoons that I would have watched uh, because of being a furry, I'm not entirely too sure there are too many of them because furry kind of aligned with my cartoon styles. My yeah. cartoon styles of viewing didn't really align with furry. Ah, right, okay. <clears throat> and so I would probably never have found the Red Bull uh, TV series mm. had it not been through furry. Mm-hmm. So that's one I can definitely quote there. Um, Roger Rabbit found that a long time before Furry uh, and so that was another kind of springboard into both Disney and the Furry fandom in a way mm-hmm. but unless people start naming names I mean uh, some of the preschool stuff I started watching because of Furry um, so I did YouTube trolls uh, for various shows <laughs> that sounded a bit interesting for instance Between the Lions ah. which is an American educational show uh, that involved puppetry yes um, and it had a couple of small cartoon segments in there. Mm. Uh, but you, you watch the opening titles for Between the Lines and you just see this god-awful CG mouse thing. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, what the hell am I watching? Oh, Christ, yeah, you showed me this. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, puppets. And you're like, holy fuck, this is amazing. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it's like a family. Yeah, there's a family of lions who live in a library. And so it's all there to get kids to read and things. And mm-hmm. it's so good. Even now as an adult, I'm going... Why is this so good? <laughs> Why is this... I wouldn't call it timeless per se, but mm. it might as well be. It mm. just makes you lose your words, really, which is mm. ironic, considering the subject matter. Yeah, I was actually blown away by how high quality the series was mm. in terms of you know the puppeteering, the actual puppets themselves, and the storytelling. It gets a bit thin in plot in places. You know, it's as it is an educational show for kids. It's kind of like a, <laughs> a, ses- a, less, a-, a less interactive Sesame Street. It aired oh. in 2000. Mm. Yeah. A group of, Hello, a group. we're in 2021 now. That's over 20 years ago. Hello. A group of lions in the library. They must feel a lot of pride. They did. Oh, God. So what about yourself, Hedge? Well, I know one that is definite, which I wouldn't have gotten into Pokemon if it weren't with a furry fandom. Oh, Christ, there's a I sentence. Was, I was in... What? <laughs> too many, Too many humans. I wouldn't have got into Pokemon if it wasn't the furry fandom. No, it wouldn't. Because I was introduced to it when I went over to the USA for my first um, convention. And I was introduced to the anime. And He wants to be the very best. Yes, Don't like no one ever was. Stop it. 
Like, to catch them you've is got a funny real color. test. <laughs> to train them is my cause. <laughs> I will travel across the land. <laughs> Spreading far and wide. <laughs> no, stop it, you fuck. <laughs> oh, we've killed Tavia. <laughs> Gutter, gutter, yes. gutter, out, gutter, out of gutter. Oh. So, yeah, the furry fandom got me into the world of Pokemon. Oh, thank God. And, uh, and all the jollies that are within. So, yeah. And everyone oh. was like, Pikachu. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. But uh, I had, uh, I got, Lucario is my favourite Pokemon. Lucario this, this is, is This is along the fucking sessions, yeah. by the way, because... Yeah. He was third gen? Third gen, yeah. I want to say... I, was, I, I didn't get into it through the games. I got into it through the um, through the anime, because I was introduced to it that, and I thought, this is really cool. This idea of sort of battling, but it's real creatures that are battling. And I thought, you know, this is... Yeah. Digimon says hello. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, weirdly, I didn't like Pokemon very much, but Digimon, I took a kind of... Uh, not really a liking to, but it certainly got a soft spot for mm-hmm. it. Card captor. Sakura says hello. Too many heroes. Um, and there was another one I can't remember that was also based on a video Yu-Gi-Oh. game. Not I shall challenge you in a children's card game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I got into that, and then then I was introduced to the uh, the game on the Game Boy, and I briefly played it, but I couldn't get into the sort of the limited palette and everything. Then, of course, when it started to go onto bigger media, I started getting into that. And then when they introduced the new evolutions with the new characters and I saw Lucario, I thought, yeah, Lucario is literally Anubis in Pokemon form. And I just went, you are mine. To and, change uh, the topic slightly from Pokemon briefly, yes? mm-hmm. I can think of something else that you probably wouldn't have got into without the furry fandom. Oh? The new generation of My Little Pony. Ah, yes, oh, indeed. Yes, yes because of course. When I was a yeah. kid, I watched the OG series of My yeah. Little Pony. Yes. OG series of My Little Pony... Care Bears, that oh, yeah. stuff. Yep. Yeah. It was interesting as a kid, but I mm. cannot go back to it now mm. because oh my god, you realise it's like was it fuzzles and things like that. The wuzzles. The wuzzles. Yeah. Bullshit. Fucking stories. Mm. But I remember when they talked about the new mm-hmm. series, mm. and I saw the first episode. Mm-hmm. Even as an adult, then yeah. It, regardless of me being a furry and what people then referred to mm. as bronies before they got mm. killed and murdered, um. It was a good cartoon. Yeah. I mean, the actually actually reading about how Lauren Faust actually turned the OG Twee series into something that was modern and actually not patronising is an absolutely brilliant read for how she redesigned everything so that it, it would actually feel like the original but with a modern update is absolutely fantastic reading. So you say that it felt like the original but with a modern update. For yeah. me, it didn't. I watched the first episode and profoundly did not like it. <laughs> well, um, it seems you're in the minority. <laughs> well, I, I think, think the, I think in the grand scheme, I'm probably in the yeah, majority. The, the main, yeah. yeah, the main reason though is the original OG series were it was back in the day of cartoons to sell toys, yes. and with My Little Pony, because I've seen yeah. a document, it, this, a documentary episode a, on the making of My yeah, Little Pony. These were toys that were heavily marketed towards girls. They yes. were they were girls. They were they were completely gendered. It was like these are for girls. Well, it wasn't marketing this cartoon towards girls. Wasn't just that. It was it it was it was very much the let's get along together. Friendship is magic mm. in that series. But it was very. There's a structure for this one episode, and there is very much a twee feel Mm. and there's very much it's an appeal for a very specific audience as in the people who are buying that 
Hoy, yeah. who will spend time combing the pony's hair. Because yeah. this is what the original My Little, My Little Pony was not a little pony. Yeah. It was not movable. It was a big fucking Piece toy. Plastic, yeah. <laughs> not all that big. Well, I say big compared to now. They shrunk them down. Mm. But the current set was not really being marketed towards the same crowd. And then the cartoon was, again, not really being marketed towards the same type of mm. crowd. Mm. And the people who did it realised they can't do twee, and people are expecting overarching stories and, and interesting characters. Mm. And I enjoyed the the fact that there was the lore of like the moon yeah. and the two different... The two princesses. Yeah, princess mm. ponies. I never stuck with it. Mm-hmm. For me, I... There was the art style. I quite got on with the original art style of the OG ponies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stories, as you say, were paper thin, but yeah. I had a couple of them on audio cassette because my sister was, uh, back when she was quite young, was very into My Little Ponies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, being the younger sibling, you often got dragged into... Play well, with get, my ponies. <laughs> no, it was the, um, this is going to be on the telly whether you like it or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. And so I, mm. I kind of grew up with My Little Pony in that respect because it being on while I was there. And there are some bits I actually really did quite got into because, mm. um, you know, you, you either get into it or you commit suicide, one of the two, mm-hmm. uh, out of boredom. And so now I chose to get into it and I really quite enjoyed the OG Pony series mm. to a, a degree. But I never really got into the toys a bit. Um, my mm-hmm. sister used to force the play along a bit. <laughs> again. Um, God. You could tolerate that, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, you could always get your own back with your own toys. So, yes. you know, there's a little bit of give and take. Uh, so so the, the OG series for me, it was that very soft gentle pastel mm, mm. and then all of a sudden they'd be in a cave with lava trying to prevent <laughs> a demon from being summoned and you're yeah. going wait what <laughs> this has yeah. uh come out of nowhere or there'll be a witch who's chasing around some little frostballs around trying to kill them in cold blood and you're going this is aimed at girls what the <laughs> fuck are we giving girls this is amazing <laughs> why are boys getting this we're getting like action man and gi joe oh whoopee he's a war hero there's a witch trying to lay genocide going on down here give me <laughs> so yeah my little pony og basically gave you all the twee it gave you all the pastel and then all of a sudden it just hit you with and this is the shit you're gonna be sitting with but where did that come from <laughs> and to the points where there are there's now parts on youtube where there were releases of kind of more feature length episodes yeah that then got somewhat cut down for the home release. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think one of them is called Escape from Katrina. Uh, and I think there were certain lines cut out because they were deemed maybe a little bit too adult. Uh, oh, a, a little bit too, me. maybe we shouldn't be giving these to the young girls after all. <laughs> and so they were trimmed. Um, so, But yes, the uh, the modern the modern uh, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Yes, I wouldn't have gotten to that if it weren't for the fairy fandom, yeah. So what was the other one before he, TK mentioned ponies pokemon. i don't know never mind okay so let's say, say it, was po- it was ponies and pokemon, ponies pokemon. And, pokemon. there's a sentence <laughs> yeah. so we'll we'll wrap As up the comic yeah. we'll wrap up the the cartoons because i think that's the easiest one for mm, yeah for furries yeah moving then into the i suppose we can call it the mainstream this is the movies and the tv series yeah. are we still including animated movies we can still include animated movies okay. because we haven't talked about Disney movies. Um, mm-hmm. I will say there was a lot of stuff that did influence me. I'm sci-fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the BBC fantasy children's shows. Mm-hmm. I saw the Lion King, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe 
I own BBC the series. BBC Chronicles mm. of Narnia series. Yep. I was a fan of the Muppets, still am. Yep. Um, and a lot of Jim Henson stuff that he did outside of that. So yes, Labyrinth was a very big influence for me in terms of a film. Um, and David Barry's groin. No, I was not obsessed with David Barry's David Speak for yourself, Barry's honey. <laughs> I can't remember. What was the other Jim Henson Dark movie? Crystal. Dark Crystal. Holy crap. Mm. If you want a film that is not explaining shit and is quite fucked up, Dark Crystal is the film for you. Um, Which has been remade as a series on Netflix, Yeah, there's been a prequel series because there has also been, like, for both The Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, um, a manga book series that were looking after the events. And so the Dark Crystal is a pre series some people liked it some people didn't like it that's standard but the original is poor very very dark um before the furry fandom i was heavily influenced by the fantasy genre stuff so crawl hawk was it hawk hawk the slayer uh conan the barbarian there was the Uh, 80s films that i got into Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily fantasy red sonya i also enjoyed the science fiction stuff and i obviously ended up watching things like alien tv series was like red dwarf Mm -hmm. i tended not to be serious films or serious telly really um outside of certain things when i started to become a bit more broad with with my um viewing habits so things like the green mile Mm. that is a solid film that I would say is very impactful in terms of storytelling, in terms of characters, in terms of then me going, yes, this actor I would follow. And again, but again, it was also a fantasy style story. Was it um, Stephen King? Yeah. Stephen King. I've never read much of his stuff, um, but I have seen things like seen stuff adapted. So pre furry, I suppose you could just call me like the fantasy sci-fi nerd. I had a lot of stuff like that. But there were things that I would go out of my way of because I had my tastes in uh, the werewolf stories Mm. and lycanthropy and things like that. So I watched American Werewolf in London. And I do agree that's probably some of the best morphic scenes, especially seeing as it was practical effects, Mm -hmm. not CG. If you want to see what bad CG morphic effects are, yes, watch things like... Twilight, yes. <laughs> Watch things like American Werewolf in Paris. <laughs> this is some terrible stuff. Harry Potter's Werewolf. Hey, fed of air. Mm, no. I, I gave Harry Potter's Werewolf a pass because it was so completely different to all yeah. the other interpretations of a werewolf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are, there are other TV series that I know that exist because there's a book series called Bitten that became a TV series. I <gasps> never managed to get into that. You've made me remember Woof. Oh, God, Woof. Oh, Christ. Oh, God, yes. Jesus, oh, yeah. Wolf is amazing. Wow. Oh, Probably my God. Probably wouldn't stand up now if you watched it. No. <laughs> no. No. But it, for for going into like the movies and TVs, I know I've I've been a Marvel film fan, so yeah, that's a thing. But my furry... But having gone into furry being influenced, I wouldn't say I've gone out of my way to see films because they're furry-related. Werewolf films, yes. Um, I still need to see like cat people. This is old films, though, certain things, because of anthropomorphism that is involved but i can't honestly say that i've been influenced outside of maybe zootopia to watch things because i'm a furry not hugely i don't know about you two though well 
for movies and TV outside of Disney, obviously. <laughs> I said for movies and TV shows and things because I was about seventeen, eighteen when I joined the fandom. I didn't really get much control over what I watched pre-furry to a degree. Yeah, it was whatever's on the telly at the it time. It was whatever's on the telly at the time. Yeah, so of course you only get the four channels and then later on five channels. Yes, your range is somewhat limited. So because we didn't have any of the kind of cable or uh, satellite channels. We literally just had whatever the BBC or ITV were going to be playing to us. Yep. We were limited to very much that. And so I never really got an opportunity to indulge much outside of the kind of boundaries that they set. I mean, we used to go down to the local corner shop and we're part of their video rental club. Mm. But again, I never really got to choose very many of the offerings that came from that. I remember having a massive Barney uh, because they had a VHS cassette of The Simpsons. Uh-huh. And we wanted to watch it. Uh, well, I wanted to watch it. And some other kid with their parents also wanted to watch it. And there was a massive screaming and shouting argument, each of us trying to convince our parents to be the one to get it. Uh. Yep. And it didn't matter anyway, because it had already been rented out. And uh. <laughs> there was a sticker on the box thing to say, this one's already rented. Uh, nice. uh, it's just that we do have it, but this one, this copy's gone, so forget it. Uh, neither of us knew that. And so that was a big, embarrassing episode for our parents. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. Yeah, if you're going to do it, do it in style. Mm -hmm. Let's all fight over the one thing that's actually not in stock. Yeah, Yeah, so it was kind of a, your parents would more decide what you watched Mm, uh, because they were the ones who actually had the money. (laughs) So so even when you're old enough to say, I don't really fancy watching this, it's like, well, tough, because we're the ones with the cash, we're paying for it, you're going to sit down and watch it. We decide what happens. I did manage to get into some things uh, that my mother was into, especially things like Prisoner Cell Block H. Ah. Oh, God. Showing her age is, again. Yes, that is very much not very in the slightest. No. Uh, an Australian soap opera based in a woman's prison. Mm. So, for context, this is wobbly sets. Very wobbly sets. Um, sometimes dodgy scripts. <laughs> sometimes? It's a soap opera. It's a soap uh, opera. Yeah, yeah. But actually touched on some really serious issues. And I now own all uh, 692 episodes of it. Yeah. Wow. It lasted a long... I think they redid it, didn't they? They did. It was called Wentworth. Wentworth. Yeah. Yes, and that lasted about five or six seasons, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was actually quite good. It went mm. and did its own thing for the most part, but yeah. kept certain characteristics from characters that you'd remember if you'd seen the original. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they compressed the timeline a lot, shall we say. Makes mm. sense. Yes, and it, it was very... Intro- more for the modern era. The mm. original uh, Prisoner was... Kind of timeless in story, very dated in presentation. Yes. Mm. Whereas I think Wentworth, um, when you go back to watch that kind of 30 years time, will seem very dated in story mm. and a bit more timeless in presentation, if well, that makes we'll, sense. I suppose we'll, we'll see at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, when that rolls around, we'll be watching its 30th anniversary. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so for my pre-furry influences, it wasn't really huge. Uh, as you say, we got the Disney cartoons rented every now and again, so I was, I was really fond of the Jungle Book. That was the first film I can remember seeing in the cinema. Wow. When Damn. Dis- yeah, because Disney mm. used to rerun their old films in cinemas every now and again. Yes. Mm. And so when I was about four or five, I think it was, we went and saw The Jungle Book on a rerun. And I remember not crying at Baloo's death scene because <laughs> some other kid cried. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone kind of was like, how dare you? <laughs> Shut up. And I remember going, that's not going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> never one. experienced that as a kid in the cinema. I never had the Bambi's mom died. I never had the oh shit character died in a cinema at all. I never had that, unfortunately. I did once, and that was with uh, Brother Bear during the transformation scene. Wow. That, the, the, the actual music in that was the one thing that really sort of like was like, wow, oh. this is incredible. 
I mean, The Lion King was one of the reasons it became my favourite film of all times is because it was the first Disney movie that made me turn on the waterworks. It was actually the <laughs> opening line. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is this doing this? I don't understand. I need to know more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for for post sort of um, fairy for me, it was just sort of, I think I just started watching more anime and that was what it is. But it was mainly music that I got into mm. um, post that because I met a lot of people at conventions who were musicians. I was introduced to Weird Al through the fairy fandom. I got introduced gonna... to Weird Al through you. So technically yeah. that statement yeah. is true for me. Yeah, because a lot Likewise. of people would do, they would perform skits to the song or they would perform different interpretations of it. and Or they'd that's... throw it on for DDR. Yeah. Yeah. Or band <laughs> camp, band fuck camp? rock band. And, That's uh, the word. We'll, we'll come on to that in another episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It was mainly music that I was introduced to. So Weird Al was another one. The Offspring I got introduced to via um, Furry Fandom as well. Offspring, you were introduced to them via the Furry Fandom in 1999. Yes. Now, when you say the Furry Fandom, do you just mean an individual furry, or do you mean uh, do you mean an event or something that happened? No, it's an event because. Weird Al was um, one of his songs called Traffic Jam was reinterpreted by two uh, deaf people performing it in sign language. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting track. I want to know more about this. So I found out where it came from and, of course, started listening to more of his stuff. (laughs) Uh, The Offspring, uh, somebody was using um, uh, Pretty Fly for a White Guy as part of one of their um, performances. And I was like, I've not heard this song. What is this? So, again, I got pulled into that. But the sort of the American punk and things like a band that no longer exists called Eve Six was another one that I was uh, pulled into as well. These really, really sort of strange sort of uh, American pop punk tracks that some people in British society would think, oh, good gracious, this is terrible. I don't terrible. know why, but. Eve Six rings a bell. I, I want to say it's probably because of the influence of the bands in America at the mm. time for mm. the age group who were in the furry fandom at the time, because outside fandom, because we now moved into music, apparently fuck movies. Outside, I'll I'll drag it back to movies in a minute. Outside of the fandom, um, my influence for music to this day, I can narrow down to Queen. Queen, the band Queen, I have um, their greatest hits. I've followed a lot of stuff. I unfortunately don't have any of the physical media. Um, purely because now I've gotten to the point where I'd prefer to have my music on a device rather than 50 CDs. As much as I wouldn't complain if I had 50 CDs, I would also complain that I had 50 CDs, if that makes sense. But Queen was a heavy influence. Def Leppard was another influence, certainly, because British rock, rock in general, but Mm. British rock is something that I've enjoyed. And then the other big one, randomly for me, has always been Wu-Tang Clown. Ah, (laughs) Everyone's got to have one. Yeah. And and it stuck with... Those three have stuck with me quite significantly. I mean, Evanescence I've picked up, a few others, but Queen, Def Leppard, Wu-Tang has been consistent. I can't say Furry introduced music... Aside from you and Weird Al, mm-hmm. I can't say Furry introduced a lot of music. I will say Furry introduced me to the idea of enjoying more music. Mm-hmm. Because of someone and their obsession with particular musical Taste. games. Ah. <laughs> well, see, I can't say the same. <clears throat> I've always been really kind of take it or leave it with music. Yeah. I very rarely ever kind of 
voluntarily went to listen to music when I was younger. Uh, yeah. I would always be more entertained either by reading or by what was on TV, uh, by cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> when I did find something I liked, I would hyper-focus on it to a point. Yeah. And so I, one of the things I hyper-focused on was the music of Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And that's so yeah. I now have sat next to me in the bookcase virtually his entire discography on vinyl. Yeah. Not quite his entire discography. I do have some gaps yeah. to fill, but. We, we, if you can find the archives, <coughs> we do have Aren't a we? show where we talk about. Mm-hmm. I think we have several shows where we talk about Michael Jackson significantly. Oh, back in the earlier seasons yeah. of Tarkatas Radio. Yes, because yeah. I had so much of his vinyl leg around, so we had you, plenty to play. You'll have to dig around, but yeah. I mean. <coughs> But I've yeah. also, on the vinyl collection down here, I have everything from uh, classical music, but a 1920s big band jazz and swing, mm-hmm. uh, Motown, uh, <laughs> and other disco classics, a uh, bit of pop, bit of rock, bit of metal, uh, and also spoken word stuff. Nice. Ooh. Uh, including, I think I may have the entire vinyl discography of Monty Python. Ooh. That's fine. <laughs> I, I know I had a record of... Uh, this is weird to say I had a record because my brother was a fan as well mm-hmm. of some of their concerts uh, I say oh, I had a record my brother had the records and I would listen to that over and over again yep because, but then that's Monty Python that that again mm. was an influence Monty Python British comedy yes for those people in America who may not be fully aware look up Monty Python's Flying Circus yeah. British comedy was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a reason why the British have a certain sense of humour. Monty yes. Python, I would say, is certainly one of them. You want to swing us back to movies, then, TK? Yes, so another kind of movie influence I had, which started from video games, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, but I got quite into the Mortal Kombat films. Yes, yes. And that then kind of sent me down the avenue of martial arts flicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. God, yeah. So when Channel 4 used to air their Bruce Lee films, uh, kind of late at night. Not many Bruce Lee films. He wasn't in, well, not in many mainstream, if my memory serves me. Channel 4 went on this massive binge for a few weeks Mm. of just going, we're going to throw as many Bruce Lee films on the telly as we possibly can. (laughs) And I was like, give them to my eyeballs. My eyeballs need this. Mine Um, mine was Jackie Chan. I'm still a fan of his. I do have a passing with Jackie Chan. I haven't really watched much of his stuff. Um, but I do enjoy, especially his fight choreography. Oh, Christ, yeah. yeah. He had some amazing fights mm-hmm. uh, called film, especially the one in City Hunter, I think it was, with the, <laughs> the Street Fighter cabinet. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a very silly fight. It's a very silly fight. <laughs> it's a very, and very silly the fight. The poor English actor who played the, the villain fighter in the yeah. Ken get-up. <laughs> if ever you're going to do a film where you're going to do Ken Ryu's Binny Kiki, don't drink a lot of tea. He learned. After the fact. <laughs> because they take a lot of takes. Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing I got into post-furry that wasn't influenced by furry, mm. but was influenced by random channel hopping, Lazy Town. Yes. Ah. And yes. again, I hyper-focused on that. Yeah. I don't blame you for that, because <clears throat> the quality for that series... It was so good. I mean, I want to say I would have found it eventually myself, but I'm glad because I came into the house that I met you guys. Because it had the quality influence for you as a kid, a quality influence for you as an adult, and then a villain that you enjoy. A villain with music. A proper, I'd say cartoon villain. Yeah. In real life, in, yeah. in live action. Yeah, okay, a lot of the kids were puppets, thank God. <laughs> um, so they were played by adults who knew how to act, uh, apart from Stephanie, who was the actual young girl. But yep. even then, she wasn't terrible. No. Um, and... 
but the yeah the production quality was just through the roof you could tell that they were virtual sets to some degree but it all matched with what the actual physical set was yeah yeah there, there wasn't this kind of wild disparity in aesthetic between the two it was heavily stylized so it was probably easier to blend it in that regard they kind of the real world objects looked more cartoony mm. uh, to fit in with the style uh but so but Robbie Rotten was the absolute fantastic villain. I remember channel hopping uh, when I very first found Lazy Town, and it was Spartacus versus Robbie Rotten, oh God. dressed as Spartacus. Yes. And they're both going, I'm Spartacus. Uh, Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. And I went, this is a kid's show, and they're doing a Ben Hurst booth. <laughs> yes. No, you have my Spartacus spoof. Yeah. You Spartacus have my attention. This is just a note from Hedgy while editing this. I'd like to point out that TK said the word Spartacus at least four times, and yet somehow managed to say the film Ben Hur instead of Spartacus. Oh yeah, Spartacus. Right. And, um, and, and the thing is, they they didn't dip in the references, and they no, didn't, they didn't. They didn't shy away from attack it because you know it's like and then they gave me cheesy Eurodance and yeah, I was like right. and I'm sold <laughs> <laughs> but move, moving then to, to Hedgy before we, we wrap up the TV stuff because mm-hmm. I've got one last thing I want to talk about the TV for mm-hmm. you Hedgy was there anything that you as a furry because you were a furry you were mm-hmm. influenced then to watch in terms of TV movies I think mainly it was just sort of um, picking out the I suppose the cartoons that we never got on mm. UK TV. Yes. So, for example, we never got uh, Robotech in the UK. No. Which was a similar no. sort of like Transformer style. And I was introduced to that and and sort of... Uh, Road these... Rovers. Sorry? Road Rovers? Road ro- oh, Christ. No, we got Road Jesus. Rovers over did we? here. Yeah, we, we did. did. I do yeah. not remember that because yeah. I would have watched the shit out of it. It was hard to known. find. But Robotech was... Very interesting. It was like, this is very strange. And of course, Say the Moon as well, oh which God. I'd never, which when I came back over a couple of years later, it was there on Sky, but previously I'd never heard of that. And that was really weird as well. So all these kind of weird sort of strange anime cartoons that was available on American TV channels for everywhere. But of course, these I'd never seen before. And when I came back, of course, they were never on British TV. So I was researching and trying to find out what they were and all these and then of course they started doing crossovers with other comic books and stuff mm. like that and then someone at Archie went hey what if we do a Sailor Moon Sonic crossover oh, and Archie God. went yes we should do that Archie was mental yes Knuckles is now uh, Knuckles is things. now Tuxedo Mask Oh my fucking god, yes. really? Yes. The character who appears does fuck all. Yep. And I will say this as someone who's not seen a huge amount of Sailor Moon. Yep. Does fuck all. Yep. And then disappears. <laughs> yep. I still need to watch Sailor Moon. Oh my god. Yep. Poor fucking Knuckles. Uh, yeah, TK's he was looking for shit. Tuxedo Knucks. Oh god. And he saved <laughs> Sally Moon and Chibi Rose. Wow. So yeah, well that's that's what allows me to swiftly go into the last thing as we wrap up the the, the movies and TVs because mm-hmm. the last thing for me is mm. tying into c- cartoons anime for me. Yes, anime. and for me Studio Ghibli. I know TK's uh, yes, not a huge Ghibli. fan of this, but I love Ghibli. For some reason, I really got into a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff. Um, I've seen a lot of the classic stuff mm. now. My favourites are indeed The Cat Returns, mm-hmm. um, My Neighbour Totoro, mm-hmm. really cool. I really like Spirited Away, mm. but that's Spirited less Away furry. Spirited Away is one of the greatest. Um, mm. 
What's the uh, oh um, Pompoko? Pompoko, yeah, I saw that once. Even though, even though introduced to the fairy fandom, mm-hmm. watching that is surreal <laughs> when you realise what they're doing. <laughs> it was like fairy fandom's got this weird bent. Pompoko, fairy fandom's fine. <laughs> it's, they just have kinks. It's fine. <laughs> But outside of that was then a lot of other stuff because with anime they were less afraid of what I, I want to say being mainstream uh, to an extent because they they seem to have a lot more freedom of exploring stories exploring different characters and Netflix has been pulling some of these because mm-hmm. they they've also been I mean we've mentioned them on the show yeah the most recent one being BNA uh, Better New Animal mm-hmm. where people yeah. were transforming into animals yes. Um, and of course, we have B Stars as well, which follow the similar yeah. vein. And there's another season of that coming out. Yes, there is. B Stars. I think you've seen B Stars. I've seen bits of B Stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The but the it's a lot. It it's not afraid to explore sexuality yeah. in B Stars mm-hmm. to the point of completely turning. It's like Wolf inexperienced. Yeah. Well, it's not really Wolf inexperienced, but everyone assumes the Wolf is the bad guy. Yeah. Bunny experienced oh yeah we know that she's the one hunting him yes <laughs> whereupon you go sorry what <laughs> and then mm. bna were was it had like the fantasy tropes it was mm. from it's from a studio that i followed anyway because of things like gurren lagan kill the kill mm-hmm. it wasn't as good as those but it did it was something I could enjoy yeah. because, again, transformations. It was a lot, was a lot more lighthearted. Yeah, but there was the transformations yeah. and it's stuff that I, I would say I would go out of my way and have gone out of my way as someone who's gone into the furry fandom to see. Uh, after that, I generally enjoy anime over Western cartoon now mm. these days because I will say Western cartoons have gone more the... Um, Steven Universe, mm. splodgy, blodgy weirdness. Yeah. Um, yeah. As much as TK has his straight lines issue from back in the day, yeah. my, my issue is when it's a cartoon that's drawn as if it's for kids mm. by people who don't understand what kids want, mm. but perceive kids want this it's mm. it's like it's similar to the reason i've stopped kind of watching modern cartoons now i mean yeah. aside from things like the danger mouse reboot and things like oh that, yeah that's where, another good one where you've got shows that kind of have that very kind of classic design philosophy but with uh, modern techniques and things like that mm. so mm. i was never i'd never got into steven universe uh, despite no. the number of anthro characters in that and anything like that i mean basically disney kind of turned me off uh their kind of morning streak with everything post recess uh, when they kind of <clears throat> everything started being animated in toon boom basically ah. because it was the age where they were ditching um hand-drawn pen and paper animation oh, yeah. and moving it on to directly digital animation yeah and mm-hmm. so they were then becoming a lot freer with their kind of block colors and the lost art of uh, ink and paint was gone mm. and replaced by digital coloring and it was at that stage cartoons started to turn me off mm. because you could tell there was a lack of uh, flow to characters and the animation itself. And then Flash came along and everything was in like bold, thick, chunky outlines. And in some cases it worked and in a lot of cases it didn't. Samurai Jack worked. A lot of others Mm. didn't. Yeah, exactly. And everything tried to emulate that style and it repulsed me visually. Mm. I mean, this is one of the reasons I didn't like the new My Little Pony reboot is because you'd gone from this thin-lined pastel 
um, experience to my first block chunky colour yeah, animated no, in flash. I, un- I understand this, the style you're talking and about. It was, the to me, repugnant. Yeah. Absolutely repugnant. And it's carried on, um, basically, you now because everyone's animating through the Toon Boom or Flash at the time. And while Flash was very good, if you know how to handle it, I mean, some of those Stickman animations were a solid and fluid as all sin. Most people just took advantage of motion tweening. Yeah. So you would have, instead of creating an animation now, you would basically be doing puppetry with very static elements that were then combined together to give the impression of motion. But characters wouldn't. Yeah, they'd have a bend in their elbow, but there wouldn't be any other bends anywhere else. Yeah, not not to say that there are styles that do that well, because there are styles that do that well, even in mainstream. But you, if you're going to have a style like that, you need to use it well, and you need to have it for the right material. Yeah, I mean, whereas now it's cartoons these days are getting better. I mean, especially with CG. I mean, the Tom and Jerry cartoon, the Tom and Jerry film that's recently come out. Yes. Uh, which was appalling from what I can see. Uh, <laughs> but the most interesting bits were the Tom and Jerry bits where they were CG animated, but then cell shaded to look a bit more two, uh, hand-drawn 2D. Yeah. And they've got aspects of classic forms of animation. For instance, you've got squash and stretch, which mm. is so hard for me to say. <laughs> and some of the core philosophies of why Tom and Jerry worked is because, for me anyway, I don't know if anyone else agrees with this, but the old classic Tom and Jerry's, when Tom gets hurt, he has a body structure, effectively, that shows you he has been hurt. Yes. For instance, he doesn't just kind of squish completely into a solid wall and then just rebound back. He's, he will have an initial small squish yeah. and then go rock solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As in, if you ever watch slow motion of someone being punched, you know, it mm. kind of they, they get the shockwaves of the face a bit like jelly. And Tom was very much like that. There'd be the initial couple of frames of squish and then there'd be the, mm. the hard, heavy impact for the rest of his body to then ricochet against. And it looked painful. Yeah, mm. They <clears throat> very much did visual slapstick comedy so to a T. Indeed. To the point where you, if you see other cartoons then doing it, or trying to do it, you had a standard, I suppose you could say, that you could match it to. Because uh, I know there were some cartoons where it was a case of you had the, like the frying pan over the head mm. and the vibrating characters. Oh, yeah. yeah, but that was always the trouble with all the other animation houses doing it. Tex Avery was great if you wanted to blow people up. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you needed an explosion, you'd go to Tex Avery. <laughs> if you wanted hard gratuitous violence, you'd go to Hanna Barbera. Yes, because <laughs> they knew how to do that. But for especially the Warner Brothers and the Disney's, mm-hmm. if someone gets hit over the head say, with a, 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 a the handle of a broom or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it would just kind of cave halfway through their skull mm-hmm. and they'd just be left with that cartoon dent in their forehead. Yes. Yep. And it's like, well, that person's made of basically plasticine. They're not feeling hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their body has just absorbed all the impact and now it, it's been a mild inconvenience for you. <laughs> Daffy Duck, as being probably the best example, he has his beak blown off of, off of his yeah. face. Many times, yeah. yes. Many times. He swivels, he... swivels around his head a lot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And for them, it's just a minor inconvenience. There's mm-hmm. no yeah. kind of feeling that mm-hmm. this has hurt them. Yeah. And it's the lack of that, that, okay, yeah, ha-ha, he got his beak blown around a bit. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Tickle, mm-hmm. chuckle. But there wasn't the kind of the slapstick, no, actually, yeah, that bloody hurts. That's hilarious because it's happening to someone else. <laughs> the, the lack of schadenfreude, <laughs> the, the way of explaining that. And but so, then there have been ones where Tom sort of, for example, if he 
uh, he gets hit by a bin lid and he becomes flat like the bin lid and then oh, just yeah. falls and rolls like a coin on the ground. Occasionally you will yeah. have times when they do more... mould into the shape. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of the time it the the humour isn't... That's once because other times it's like they're beating each other with baseball bats. Yeah. They're blowing each other with fucking dynamite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the mousetrap mm. gag. Every time you see the trap down, yes, it will deform down. Yes. Then the trap comes off and you have the physical reaction of throbbing. <laughs> yes. And you f- you can feel that reaction because it's they know how it mm. works visually. That's uh, it's hard to articulate. And then Tom's yell, which I yeah. don't know if it was Hannah or Barbera who did the voice. <laughs> I think it was Joseph Hannah. Yes. Yeah. I think it might be right. And yeah. so we're cartoon geeks. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. In fact, from what I've heard, the new Tom and Jerry um, film that's come out, uh-huh. the trailer for it had someone else doing the yell. Oh. Everybody bitched. Yeah. Uh-huh. Apparently, that's been patched for the <laughs> <laughs> and they've strange. They've, they've dug out the archives of. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like. the fact that it's the old-fashioned microphone, which sounds like it's a massive echo. Yeah. So that that yeah, it's it. it's the thing is, and we'll we'll finish on this um, for this yeah. episode for the fans. Their expectation is. Mm. That's the sound. It's like if you know there's going to be someone falling off a building, there'll be the Wilhelm scream. Yes. If you don't have the Wilhelm scream, mm-hmm. it's for some reason not quite mm. the thing. It's not quite right. Yeah, and it's having that expectation. And this is why with the Sonic film, mm-hmm. which we managed to not mention until now, it's shocking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah somebody the, had to bring it up, didn't they? The, 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 the fans' expectation when it was going to be for, before the trailer was yeah. we would have Sonic maybe a bit more detailed mm-hmm. but he would be Sonic. from the game yes. he would he, be that's what he would look and like. instead we had hyper real yeah. monster yep. nightmare fuel with, with teeth. teeth with teeth <laughs> yeah. so yeah. the expectation wasn't met mm. the fandom reacted mm-hmm. people bitched that the, they then went away and did it but the trouble is they're not making a film for people who want nightmare fuel they're mm. making a film for people who wanted to see sonic yes and if they hadn't done i know we mentioned this in the sonic episode if they hadn't done it no one would have seen the film and it's not the greatest film jim carrey does a good job the rest mm. of the guys do a good job but the fact that sonic was sonic mm-hmm. made it more of a good film mm. thank you tyson hess i think one of the best reactions i saw to that is as soon as the first trailer dropped and they revealed the design for Sonic, everyone went to Eddie LeBron's Blue Core Studios Sonic fan film page <laughs> and went, yeah, we're so sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we will, we will wrap up there for this episode. Yeah. This is um, episode four. So part two of us discussing our media influences. We will be back again with another episode where we're going to be talking about video game influences. Um, so we'll need to say our uh, good nights. Before that, thank you very much for listening. This has been Ramblings of a Grey Muzzle. <laughs>